0: Hi, I'm Dan Higginson, and welcome to the 20th episode of the Idle Hands Society podcast, where we hope to discuss and learn more about effective creative process. No Paul Benz this week, but I'm joined today by a composer and sound designer, Sefi Carmel. Welcome to the show, mate.
1: Hey, Dan. How you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm good. It's always a little bit awkward at the top there, where I'm just trying to pretend like we haven't just been talking for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> I was actually spending a couple of weeks now just digging through your website And I wondered if you could just talk us through some of the stuff that you've actually got a part to play in.
1: Yes, with pleasure. So I run a team, I run a company called Soundtrack Creation and Soundtrack Creation does a few things, but they all have to do with audio, with telling stories through audio and through music. I guess my passion is feature films. So we compose music for feature films. We do sound design and mixing for feature films that's an area that's constantly evolving you know we're kind of moving the the industry is moving into dolby atmos and that's an exciting time in that respect uh but we also do uh we're involved a lot in the games uh space or more more uh correctly to say in the advertising for games so we do a lot of the trailers for for, for uh, games for, for supercell for, um, uh, for sega for riot games um, And we do a lot of advertising for um, West End shows and Broadway shows. So we do the cinema ads and TV ads for those. And we do a lot of production, mixing and mastering for artists from all over the world. So basically, it's 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 sound and music.
0: uh, Anything you uh, hear, right?
1: Yeah, anything you hear, usually anything you hear that's in, in sync with a picture telling the story uh, and uh, hopefully in an immersive format that's kind of you know all around you and is big and beautiful.
0: So you do a lot of stuff with surround sound and and that kind of stuff as well, right?
1: Absolutely, we've we've been doing uh, surround for uh, about twenty years, and in the last five years, sort of moving into into Atmos. Uh, so sort of instead of the sound coming at you from six directions, it'll come from many more as. Uh, as many speakers as you have in the room, but uh, in this room, for instance, the sound comes at you from twelve directions, um, which is uh, a very beautiful experience there's, there's lots of headroom there's lots of uh when you're mixing, when you're creating, you can place stuff uh, all around and you can move stuff in in creative and interesting ways. And uh, there's there's much more stuff to, to much more room to place stuff in your mix than in a stereo mix.
0: What do you make of this new stuff on Apple Music? Now they've got this. Um, I guess it's like a. I think it's meant to be like a binaural thing where people have remixed older records and a lot of new stuff that's coming out. I don't know. Part of me thinks you're still only hearing it with your two speakers either side of your head. So how good can it be is it like a gimmick or is that like a really cool innovation
1: well that's a really good question um so apple music started streaming uh music in dolby atmos very recently and and it's a big thing in the industry and um and i think there's a lot of confusion among consumers about what dolby atmos exactly is i think that the the, the fact that that uh so Dolby and Apple, are, are, or Dolby, are, are telling people that, um, you know, they're telling the pros that they need to build these facilities with many, many speakers for creating a, uh, a Dolby Atmos mix, uh, which is, is fine. And, and I have, you know, I've invested in that and, I'm, and I enjoy that. But then they're telling the consumers that you can consume that said Dolby Atmos mix off a soundbar in front of your telly. And you still get that immersive sound. Now, if we're talking about listening on, on headphones and listening binaurally, I mean, we, we do have only two ears. Mm. And those two ears pick up a, a, you know, a picture, a 3D picture of where, where things are through, through phase and through, through reflections and through uh, the, the, the color and, and, you know, reflections, delay times, uh, all of that. Um, so binaural binaural sound does give you, in, in headphones, a very good 3D representation of of where stuff is and, and can be a very kind of strong immersive experience. Having uh, immersive sound come out of a soundbar or come out of the, an iPhone or, you know, a very small device with all the speakers located in one place where there's no kind of... Localization of, around you. I do not buy into that. I buy into the Dolby Atmos experience in a big room full of speakers. Yeah, and, right. You know, that that's cool. Filling a room with sound. Filling a room with sound. You know, and and kind of. I, I've kind of grown up through. Uh, I you know started working in sound. He says showing his age thirty four years ago. Uh, my first job as a sound engineer was. Um, at uh, a radio station where we used to record um everything was on tape everything was was analog um if you wanted to make an edit in a piece of music you wanted to take out a uh, you know take out a verse and make the chorus shorter you'd find where the kick the first kick of the you know of the of the chorus was and mark it with a chinograph and cut it with a razor blade and make and if you if you'd messed up that then then you'd messed up the master tape it was uh, there was no undo or not an easy one anyway that did, well there, there was an undo but it included rummaging in the bin and looking for that <laughs> tape and re- taping it back taking together it, and yeah so growing up you know through stereo and then discovering uh well first it was what you know Dolby stereo which was analog left center right and surround uh analog format for for films and then Dolby Digital, which was, you know, wow, six channels, left, center, right, left around, right around, and sub, and the uh, beautiful pic 3D sculptures and pictures that you could create with that were a big joy, but but, um, Atmos even more so is, is uh, you know, you could create a really interesting, complex, and intricate universe. The only thing, the only little problem that we have in the in June of 2021 is that there's no bloody cinemas to go and watch it in. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I know. It's disheartening. We, we, we finished work in February on a film called Secret Magic Control Agency that was is a Netflix original. It was a really big movie. It was a really, you know, we worked on it for a year. It was a $30 million movie and we created it as a beautiful atmos, immersive sound experience and then the producers and director came over flew over to the final mix and they said yeah 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 forget atmos what does it sound like on a telly because that's how most people are going to watch it so forget all of that big immersive stuff let's hear it on a on a you know on a on a 40 inch telly what does it sound like uh, which is of course you know most people that consume mm. streaming do watch it on a, on a telly or on an ipad or on a smaller device so that whole Kind of migration to to the uh, larger format um, Dolby Atmos as a means of experiencing big films in the big room is postponed a little bit i, I don't remember the exact numbers but so the, the Netflix subscribers that have Atmos is oh, it it's got to be like, a
0: vanishingly small number right it
1: is it's something like two thousand five hundred out of two hundred million or
0: something like that it's, right. You know, you're one of those, I guess. Uh,
1: yes, I am. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's not there yet in terms of the you know the format penetrating the home entertainment space uh, in a in a way that, that everyone has it. However, um, as as we discussed, the, the the a lot of major players in the, in the kind of international arena are marketing the format very aggressively. Uh, in a consumer kind of, oh, yeah, it's fine. You can hear it on your on your phone or, you know, on stereo headphones. So on stereo headphones, it has some merit. But on soundbars and, and sort of a stereo speaker somewhere in the room, I, you know, I'd have, I've listened to those. I, I didn't get a, a good immersive experience from that. Yeah,
0: I've got to say, I, I had to listen. There's a thing, if anyone goes onto Apple Music right now, and I know I'm probably one of the few people that's actually subscribed to Apple Music, but there's a, there, was, there was like a little bar there and it said um, whatever it was, the Dolby Atmos Experience stuff. You know, I've got some half-decent headphones and I I gave it a listen. And to be honest with you, it, it sounded good in their demo. And then I listened to this Bob Marley record. I can't remember what Bob Marley record it is that they've sort of remastered with this mm-hmm. surround sound. But to me, it just sounded like they'd added bits of reverb to some instruments to sort of place them somewhere else in a mix and I felt really good about it when I first heard it and then once I heard that record I was I don't know, felt a bit more gimmicky than it had done to start with.
1: Yeah, well you know, I think that if you're creating new music and you're creating that new music in in an immersive format, that's, you know, that's that's fantastic and this Eurorack here to my right is configured as Adobe Atmos synth so you can you know you can create stuff on it that's immersive and that makes sense to me why why go and you know bob mali it certainly ain't broken why 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 fix it you know why why remaster it in atmos it's fine how it is i i don't feel the need to remaster uh of course it's a it's a it's a great you know at the end of the day, from an industry perspective, if you're creating all of this content, you're all, all the content that ever existed until now, you're giving it a new lease of life, and you can sell it again, and you can stream it again, and you can, you know, ah, but this is it. It, it sure, you know, it makes a lot of sense from an industry perspective of uh, all this IP can and all these recordings can right be you give a, new again, a new lease of life, new lease of life, you know, lots of work for engineers, lots of work for mastering engineers, lots of work for uh, marketing executives. Let's pump some life into the music industry, sure. But as a consumer, as a, you know, it's, it, there's something a bit spinal tap in it for me that's, oh, it's in Dublin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> what, why? You know, why do, you need, why do we need Bob Marley in, in Atmos? It's not, it wasn't made what like What about that. something new?
0: Like, yeah. Yeah, say, for example, a band came to you right now and yeah. they said we're going to record we want you to record us but like from the ground up we want it to be like a surround experience a Fine. proper surround experience yeah. not like a binaural I- one like a proper one yeah how would you approach that
1: um i i it, it, it's something that that uh that i've done many times uh for instance uh uh, I've mixed content for, for for Warner Brothers of like uh, for instance Michael Bublé's uh, Aviva, uh Stadium concert that was mixed in in, in surround as a 5.1 um, experience. Um, right, right. And, and uh, you you mix that like a movie, you mix that like a film. So it's art. There are no there are no laws and no rules. But let's say that you want you can place the vocals down the center, harmonic stuff you can place to the sides, you can place the the brass to the left and the right, you can place the strings slightly more to the the back. So you can build a 3D picture of where the musicians are compared to the listener and place the stuff. uh, More interestingly, you can move stuff around and if you're creating uh you know you can you can create stuff that spins around you you can create stuff that spins above you you can uh create uh for instance if it's a if it's a, let's say if it's a soundtrack for a movie you can create a, a heavenly choir that ascends that sort of goes and you know it goes up as it does that so you can create really emotive stuff by how it's placed and how it moves in the surround uh, field or in the atmosphere, which is you know one degree up from from surround. I wonder uh, if that's what we're
0: going to start hearing now with lots of new records. I think so. I think
1: I think that you know, like uh, I imagine that, like when when uh, stereo came out, that uh, you started hearing you know the drums all the way to the right. And, <laughs> it know, was that Beatles phrase, record, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, all the way to the left. I mean, I, I went, I saw, um, I visited a friend of mine that mixes uh, uh, very high-end um, movie trailers, right. like the, the, the big stuff, the Bond trailers, the, you know, the, the, the Nike cinema ads that cost uh, £100,000 just for the sound design, the really big kind of projects. And he was, he was doing a mix uh, for a, a commercial that had the human league track don't you want me baby right Uh, as you know they licensed that track and they they had a multi-track and they were mixing that in atmos i mean it sounded great but but moving the the backing vocals they were moving them kind of in a in a square above our heads uh and and it was just i wasn't sure about that you know that was kind of uh to a degree almost like. just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Exactly, exactly. It, w- it was like, okay, that's, you're just showing off now. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that it is certainly for, for, uh, for I mean, immersive sound, certainly for, for for films and games, telling stories, if you're, you know, if there's, if, if it's a drama with two people sitting in a room and talking, there's not much that Atmos will do for, for that scene. But if there's spaceships, flying above you and exploding and you know so yeah definitely that's you know there, there is very much room for, for that
0: i'm really interested in um you were saying about sort of telling a story with the sound
1: mm-hmm.
0: let's dive into that a little bit like where where do you even start with telling a story through sound
1: um there are many starting points you can you know you pick whichever one you want so each layer in a, in a movie, if it's done, if the sound in a, in a movie, it, let's take a movie for an example. If that's done properly, you can tell the story in a different way or different sides of the same story with every layer of the soundtrack. So obviously dialogue, the words are carrying the narrative and, you know, they're carrying the narrative in a, in a, in a kind of, the, dis- the descript- descript- descriptive, abstract way that words do. Uh, yeah. that That's that's the kind of, I guess, the first layer of, of telling story through sound. You have a recording of the words and that tells the story. This character is saying that to that character, et cetera, et cetera. Then you have a layer of the ambient sound. We used to say Atmos, but Atmos is now a taken word, right?
0: <laughs> it means something else now.
1: Yeah so so the ambi- i'm going to say the ambient sounds you know the 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 atmospheres that are all around us if you're outside, you close your eyes, you hear you know okay, what am I hearing? I'm hearing bird songs, but i'm- b- bird song, but I'm hearing you know an ambulance and I'm hearing a plane so i'm in a in a suburb, maybe it tells the story it kind of tells you where you are uh with the atmos with the ambient <laughs> sounds uh that you're hearing um
0: it's weird, isn't it? That's the kind of thing that people probably wouldn't even pick up on right they, away. But you, it i am imagining it's massively disorientating. If if it's not there, you
1: exactly. Or if it's the wrong sound, you know.
0: They played with that, didn't they? What was that movie? Airplane, where you see the you see the jet, and they made it sound like a propeller plane.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's so just,
0: it's your, really brain, your brain,
1: your brain's saying, "Hang on, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing are not the same thing." I don't believe it. You know, your brain, your brain uh, uh, rejects it. Yeah, so there, that's there's, weird, isn't it? There's that layer. Then, of course, there's the layer of the kind of spot effects of, you know, the the, the footsteps, the guns, the, 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 you know, the cars. Then there's the layer of the music, which which is, you know, tells the story in a different way. Uh, in, in, a, in, you know, it tells, well, it can, in many American films, it tells you what you're supposed to feel right now, even if you didn't understand the plot, doesn't really matter. This is a bad guy. Listen to the music, you know. It's a bad guy coming into the room, and you should now be scared. So it's kind of an emotional cue sheet that tells you how you're supposed to feel uh, and kind of pulls you in the right direction emotionally, or does the opposite, you know, uh, if that's what the filmmakers want. I was once told by a very uh, uh, famous American supervising sound designer that every layer of the film needs to tell the story so that if you heard it on its own and saw the film just with that layer, you could still understand the film. If it was just with dialogue or just with the atmospheres or just with the, you know, with, with the music, it would be maybe three very different films, but it would, all three of them would tell you the story.
0: That's really interesting. Um, I've never thought about that before, but I guess that's right. Like, I don't know. I think back, about some of my favorite movies. like I love Jaws. Mm-hmm. The the shark's got its own theme tune, pretty much. Yeah. Like this kind of builds as as the shark gets closer to people. Blade Runner. Blade Runner's an amazing example of that. Like I, I've got the soundtrack, and I, I sometimes listen to just the soundtrack. That's one of those ones where it's, it's kind of really emotive. I've been lucky enough to actually see the original in the cinema as well, just like on a rerun that's one of those ones where the sound just kind of washes over you. It's emotional. It's, you know, it's...
1: Absolutely. I remember seeing it when it came out. Uh, you know, Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies as well. Um, and uh, it's, well, it was very, it was groundbreaking and futuristic when it came out in the way that it was made. It was uh, the, 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 soundtrack of it is just phenomenal and music by Vangelis. And um, yeah, that's a, that's a timeless movie, definitely.
0: What did you think of the new one?
1: Um, It wasn't bad. It wasn't, you know, uh, I, I I didn't think it was as groundbreaking or as an important movie as the first one. But it wasn't like, it wasn't a letdown like the first, uh, like episode one of Star Wars was after you'd seen episode four, you know, four or five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When that came out, uh, like pants. I don't, you know. So it wasn't like that. It was like, okay, yeah. Uh, and uh, um, I
0: think it did really well. I mean, in terms of being a sequel, it had a like that's a, that's a hell of a big pair of shoes to fill, isn't it? Exactly, the original exactly. Blade Runner. And I think it, I think it did well
1: with that. It didn't. It didn't fall over. It didn't. You know, it held its own, and, and it was yeah. I mean. I thought sonically it was interesting as well. It was, you know, went to get, had again very big shoes to fill. Uh, I thought um, Benjamin Wolfish supported by this some some other dude called Hans something. Um, I think they did a very good job. Um, they did it right. <laughs> yeah, they did it right.
0: <laughs> they did it right. Yeah, I don't know. I, that, again, that I just that movie, particularly the first one, but the second one I was into as well. Like, they're they're up there for me. Yes. Yeah. For sure, for sure. C- cinematic genius. Where did yeah. your like? Where did your love of sound start? I don't know if we were rolling the episode actually when you said about this, but you were in a band in the '80s, right?
1: Yes, um, I was. Uh, I, I've always loved sound, um, and I remember uh, my dad had a reel-to-reel tape machine. Uh, that I remember playing with as, as young as, like, eight years old uh, and just recording stuff and uh, uh, being delighted that the microphone, you know, if I put it next to the speaker, I created the horrible squeal. Oh, this is interesting. And discovering that the, you know, if you played, if you recorded something and you played it through the speaker, it had the delay between the record head and the, and the playback head and you, you could... And create interesting echo effects. And so I, I used to play for hours with, with this reel-to-reel tape and uh, then started reversing the tape. And I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I did study music as a child. My My grandfather was a concert violinist and my mother was made to study violin as a child, which was traumatic for her. So she tried to kind of fix it by not making her children have to learn music. Um,
0: but you still so grew it, up in a household full of music, I'm imagining.
1: Yes, but, but there were no... Studying music wasn't kind of on offer. So um, I, I used to take whatever I could that made the sound and bang on stuff, and, you know, and, and, but, but there were no instruments in the house. Um, and then as a teenager, um I started just I'm becoming I became interested in you know it was it was the early 80s and uh electronic music started to appear and it was like wow what is that sound? Uh and band, early bands like early new wave bands like you know uh Gary Newman and Ultravox and Visage and Early Depeche Mode and uh I was just blown away by those sounds, and I, I went to—I was in starting high school, so I went to study electronics in high school with the motivation of understanding how electronic musical instruments worked. And I dabbled, and I built some very primitive synthesizers. And I and, and I remember asking my teacher, excuse me, a question about how something worked, and he had no idea. He was—he was obviously just just bobbing me off with a very inadequate answer and i pulled him up on it i said come on you know that's bullshit and he said if you want to really understand how these things work go and study electronics engineering go and do a four-year engineering degree said okay you know what oh okay i will and i did sort of halfway through my engineering degree i was bored out of my skull and i realized i wanted to play with the toys and not design them I also realized that I that I would not hear the end of it from my parents if I dropped out of uni. So I, I did complete that engineering degree. You did? Yes. I, I also thought it was a, a good kind of intellectual toolbox to have. You know, there was 22 courses in maths and 17 courses in physics. Uh, those are real numbers, by the way. Yeah, not that I've, I, you know, I've, I haven't worked a, a day in my life in an environment that wasn't either with a keyboard in front of me or a mixing desk. I just, I've never done anything else. Uh, I've never worked as an electronics engineer. I've never designed or, or built anything that I've sold. Actually, that's not true. I used to design and build alarm systems in when I was in high school. That's kind of how I paid for my synthesizers. I built alarm <laughs> systems and, and sold them to the That to paid neighbor. for your habit, right? Exactly, exactly. That paid for my habit. So I, ne- I never kind of, you know, went through the traditional route of studying music uh, doing the grades, like my kids are doing now, uh, from, you know, starting when they're five or six on the piano and going through, I, I, you know, I picked up electronics when I was 15. And I've been kind of teaching myself, reading bits of, you know, theory or going to study for a few months with a jazz pianist here or with a do, doing, you know, online courses here and, and 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 bits bits here and there. So I've kind of been more or less self taught with, with music, but and and kind of um, having done it for three decades plus every time, still to this day, every time I get paid, I say, Call them again.
0: <laughs> you got the imposter syndrome bad then, right?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I really do have the imposter syndrome bad because I'm you know, I've been surrounded by amazing musicians all my life, people that can sight read stuff like they wrote it or you know, which I can't to save my life. I can. I can look at a page of sheet music, and because I've been doing it for a while, I can decipher it. But, you know, I could go, uh, uh, okay, yeah. But I can't, you know, look at a piece of paper and, and play it. I simply can't. This hmm. is why I surrounded myself with all this beautiful technology. And this is my instrument. You know, this this um, oh, room really? is my instrument. Uh, and I can play that. I can, you know, I can get... Uh, and, you know an idea and, and execute that to to a, to a good level. But if you put me in the Royal Albert Hall with a with a grand piano, it would not be good. Neither the audience nor nor me would enjoy that. <laughs> Period.
0: How do you cope with the imposter syndrome? Is is that something that, that affects you on the way in, in like while you're doing the job, or is it just at the end where you're just like wiping your brow and thinking, "Thank fuck, I got away with that again." Um.
1: It's no, it it can be. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's getting easier as 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 the decades progress. Uh, But but for instance, in in 1999, I was hired. I was still living in Israel, which is where I'm originally from. I was I was hired by the Israeli Broadcasting Authority. The the Eurovision was broadcast from Israel, and Dana International, a transgender singer, won the Eurovision for Israel in 98. So in 99, it was Israel hosted. And the IBA came to me and they said we want, they were doing, they did 26 uh, one and a half minute shorts, which were kind of biblical stories, animated in classical animation. So, you know, David and Goliath or Moses right. in the basket. And, and they wanted 26 pieces of music for those. And they hired me to do it, and I had no idea how I was going to do it because they wanted very cartoony, very, you know, Hollywood stuff, very, uh, you know, it was so out of my depth. Uh, And I was, I had, that was, I think, imposter syndrome was, was every, every, every living moment through that was like, I'm going to get find out, found out, and I'm going to get fired from the project. I know this. Uh, but I didn't, I completed it. That was, it was broadcast throughout the EBU. The PRS on that was really nice. Yeah, um, it was. You know, it was, so, so it was, yeah. But that was imposter syndrome throughout. It was like, how am I going to do this? And uh, so I don't feel that, that badly anymore. But
0: um, yeah, you've got the credentials now. Uh, definitely now, right? Yeah. 30 years but, in the industry. Yes. But I tell you what, one of the things that I do That I did back then, and
1: I still do, and I is that um, I surround myself with very, very, very talented people that I love working with. For instance, I I might write a piece that has a beautiful cello line in it, um, but that cello line will become much more beautiful when I bring my good friend Richard Harwood, that's the principal cellist for the Royal Philharmonic, and he plays you know that line and it's suddenly like has life much more life than when it's played on a keyboard you know even with brilliant samples but you know it's nothing like the real thing so so yes collaborating with with you know beautiful musicians is uh, definitely part of, of, of uh, a path to to um, uh, overcoming imposter syndrome because then you say well well that they're, they're not imposters and I', I I if I have enough talented yeah. people around me then
0: uh I can hide. I don't know if it's hiding, mate. You've I'd imagine by now that you've definitely got the talents to uh no longer be an imposter, surely.
1: You know what? I still I still feel sometimes I don't feel like I'm an imposter, but I still feel that there is uh I think I guess that's the positive side of it, that there is lots to learn. And there's I always lots to feel, learn, right? Yeah, yeah. I still feel that every day, you know, when I sit to write something I, I try and discover something new i try and experiment with a new way of of uh of doing stuff and then new, new new ways of, of playing that's why i'm you know constantly looking for new because also because i'm not classically trained and not you know don't have that oh i'm a good i was grade 8 piano before i was 10 so i'll fall back on that i don't have that so i'm i'm, I'm looking for other ways of of expressing ideas Um, and one of them that I've recently found that's um, let's say very very interesting and very unconventional is connecting um, uh, electrodes to my head and deriving control voltages from that and uh, controlling uh, synthesizers with uh, with my brain waves.
0: I'm so glad you brought this up, Sefi, because you sent us some videos and there was a couple of videos where you were talking about this, these electrodes and stuff. How did you get mixed up with this? Is this a product that's made by a friend of yours? Like what the story there? Or is this just something you, you just spotted and loved immediately?
1: Well, it's, um, I've always dreamed of having a media out of my brain and, uh, you know, it, <laughs> how, how easy would life be if you, if you, you know, just had a media and you thought of an idea and uh, um, and it played um, that's not the case. This, this doesn't do it doesn't do that yet, but i I was reading uh, about electrodes, and I saw that there was a company that did electrodes uh, for kind of let's let's call it like biofeedback and relaxation and that sort of wellness space right Neurosky, they're called, or neurosky. Uh, and there there are there are um, um, headphones there' are headset that uh, you can wear on your head and they it they, they connect they transmit with bluetooth
0: so i i'm just i'm assuming that a lot of people that listen probably aren 't in the world of synthesizers, so they might not necessarily know what a control voltage is. My idiot 's guide of it would be you 're taking a parameter. Within the sound or within the music, and you're kind of moving it up and down. Is it just one parameter you're controlling with this electrode, or is it like multiple? No, you can
1: control. You can control multiple parameters. You can control. um, um, So you have basically brainwaves. You you put the the electrodes on your head, and um, you're kind of you've got raw EEG. Uh, information but you can filter that into uh, a few spectrums a few kind of frequency bandwidths so you can say um, low alpha waves are uh, more associated with um, uh, with deep relaxation or so you can you can kind of categorize it you can you can kind of Take a look at that data and say, well, this is. If if we're seeing this, then that brain is more relaxed, like in a meditative state. Or if oh, we're seeing,
0: blowing my mind right now, Sephi. If we're seeing, if
1: we're if we're taking this, then that brain is more alert. Maybe you're doing mental math or you're uh, reading something. And um, so so there's a few like spectrums. And what I what I've done is I've taken some filters and taken that data. And kind of broken it up into um, a few. Um, how should how can you call this? I guess I guess you could say a few types of information. And then you can say, okay, well, if I'm seeing, and and I've uh, this is very early days, but what I have, as you can see in those videos, what I have managed to do is manage to to say, okay, well, let's let's let's, for instance, attempt to change, do something very, very simple. Take an oscillator, take a pitch. So something, just an oscillator that, that has a constant kind of tone to it, like a And try and control that, the pitch of that tone. If it goes lower or higher, let's try and do that as a kind of basic exercise with uh, with with our brain. And, and I, I've managed to 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 connect it in a way that if I, I need to do this in a way that's repeatable. In a way that if I if I sit very quietly and, and go into a meditative state, uh, repeating my transcendental meditation Sanskrit mandra, mantra mantra, uh, I, I will I will manage to lower that the pitch of that. And if I open my eyes and look at the at a bright light, I discovered that this is very photosensitive. That'll you know make like an immediate shriek of a very high frequency, or if I, by the same token, if I open my eyes and, and read something very intently, or do mental math. So the day when I put the headset on and a symphony will come out is very, very, very far away. But uh, it is where we are now is I can put the headset on and definitely... One of the things I, I, I was doing is I was putting on a heart monitor as well. So I was driving the, the, the deriving a BPM from my heart rate and that was clocking the sequences. So that was kind of determining the speed of the music and then uh, deriving EEG. And, and uh, you take so you have a few kind of sources of data and you can really you can connect them to anything you want from there onward it's kind of a question of of choice you can say okay well i'm going to connect uh this meditation meditative type data to the pitch or you can connect it to changing the timbre of the sound or you can connect it, you know you can really do whatever you want with it
0: is it a surreal experience like when you're hooked up to it and it's making noises doing and-
1: something yeah it's making noises that respond to to what's going on in your body and and uh uh, one of the things that I was doing, I have an exercise bike in here, part of the man cave equipment. Uh, and I was kind of starting very, very relaxed and very, very kind of quiet and meditative, but hooked up to all the electrodes and on the on the exercise bike. And then, you know, I kind of ramped it up. And uh, uh, y- you could really hear, you know, what was happening in my body el- expressed through the speakers and coming out. And
0: one of the one of the does that kind of make it feel like what you're going through is amplified?
1: Yes, definitely, because it's a it's a it's a biofeedback thing. You can, you know, you you hear the effect that the changes in your body parameters are having on the music, and it can it maybe amplified, may, maybe put it in a kind of positive feedback loop or not. I don't know, but it, there definitely is. Um, um, a feedback loop of you're, he- you're hearing, you're, you're, you're doing something and that is reflected in the music. You hear that and you respond to that and, you know, it's kind of... So it is amplified in that way, definitely. That's
0: crazy, isn't it? There's something undescribable to anyone that hasn't ever been in a band where people say, oh, I'm on the same wavelength as, as the people that are in the room as me and we're making this music and, like, there's this thing that happens when you all gel, and i remember reading somewhere it was some scientific paper although it's probably been debunked it's probably rubbish but i remember reading that literally your brainwaves sync up so if you was to like put some sensors on on the people in the bands and literally monitor their brainwaves there was like a significant correlation between everybody that's making the music
1: i i, I could very much believe that it's like entrainment of uh... You know pendulums, grandfather clocks. You put you put them next to each other. They'll they'll start. You know they'll, they'll start. If you put two grandfather clocks next to each other, they will start to entrain. They will start to to the pendulums will start to, to sync up to each other. Really? Uh, yes. If you put uh, um, a group of girls, a group of young women in, a, in 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 the same house, their menstrual periods will sync up to each other. It. Uh, People sync up. People, people. You know, we're all we're all kind of. Tesla said, and this is one of my favorite quotes. He said, "If you want to understand the secrets of the universe, think in terms of vibration, frequency, and energy. Uh, everything is vibration. Everything is energy. And uh, and I think that um, that it all uh, is energy that bounces off each other and entrains mm-hmm. to each other and amplifies and is either you know." works together or sometimes it's counter and you know it can't uh, phases each other out uh we've been in those situations as well where there's somebody that they just rub you up the wrong way and it's just you know it's 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 the free it's the, the frequencies, yeah bad vibes exactly
0: literal vibes yeah i'm That's
1: i'm crazy. very much a very great believer in that you know that everything is a is a vibration
0: yeah i think i believe that too it's really weird to get your head around sometimes, but it's one of those things Like the more you think about it, the more it's kind of, yeah, I, it, I don't know. It just sort of makes sense, doesn't it?
1: It does. You know, my, my daughter asked me the, the other day, if I believe in, uh, in crystals, I said, of course I believe in crystals. What, you know, that, what do you mean? They're a physical thing. I believe in them. She said, no, no, but do you believe that they have healing magical powers? And I said, well, I don't know if necessarily, you know, the new age interpretation of rose quartz is a stone of self love, that kind of interpretation. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how precise that is. I don't know if I buy that verbatim. But any um, electronic circuit that is around us is powered by a clock that has a crystal in it. That the, the, the clocking of that um, frequency depends on that crystal to 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 give it the precise time. So, you know, you, crystals have, because of their molecular structure, a frequency that they will resonate and vibrate in. So, you know, if people are saying, if you're asking me, do I believe that crystals resonate in a specific frequency? Absolutely, yes, they do. They, you know, I can measure that frequency. I can, I can show you what it is. I can prove that to you. So. If, if we're saying everything is energy uh, and crystals vibrate at a certain uh, frequency of, you know, a certain manifestation of energy, then they would have an effect on stuff that's around them. They would have a, an, an effect on the person that's holding them. Uh, now, I'm not sure if that effect is exactly as described when you go to a crystal shop in, in Camden.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I'm unsure too. <laughs>
1: exactly what it says on the tin that might be you know a romantic kind of depiction of it but they certainly do something they certainly vibrate in an energy that that is a disruptor to what what was there before that crystal arrived
0: and i guess just in case anybody listens and and thinks that's some kind of new age hippie stuff about everything that's got an internal clock in it also having a crystal actually that is 100% accurate there is was it is a quartz like a quartz chip or something. And, yeah, yeah. and literally, like, if if you own a digital watch, it, it's probably got one of these things in it. Any musical instruments that you've got with an internal clock, that's, you know, there's a crystal chip in it. Yeah, that's that's science. That's not new age hippie stuff.
1: No, the, the new age hippie stuff may be based on, you know, kind of derived in an imprecise way from science, but basically the science is there. So... So yes, I believe in crystals.
0: At least in that, <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I'm all turned around. Maybe I believe in crystals now too. <laughs> Where are we at the moment, Seffi? I'm just like I'm just obviously no one else can see this. This is an audio-only recording. But I'm I'm looking into this giant studio full of modular synthesizers and flashing lights. I'm just are we in your studio? Is your studio in your home?
1: Yes, I uh, I have uh, my studio is uh, a fifty meter walk from my house, which enables me to have my retreat. I think every man needs a man cave at the end of their garden where they can hide uh, and you know create and work and meditate and just think and just escape from it all. But I'm close enough to stop working at seven o'clock in the evening and go and tell a bedtime story. And do baths for my for my younger sons and then I can go back here and work till three AM if I have to or not. Um so I like that uh work life balance and um you know the world's kind of moving a lot more to that space anyway with with because of COVID. But
0: uh Did all this start at the beginning of COVID for you or or have it, you had this space for a while?
1: No, I've had this space for a while, but it, it got very amplified during COVID. Um, where so I, I have I have a, a a small team of guys that work with me. They're they're brilliant. They're all far more educated as musicians than I am. They're all kind of Royal College of Music uh, or Tonmeisters from Guildford or um proper musicians. Proper musicians, yes. And and they they work with me on the on the projects that we do. And and when COVID started, they were they you know started working remotely and and the the remote aspects of what we do became more pronounced, but we've been working remotely. Um, I've been working remotely for a few years, quite a few years, which uh, enables me to, you know, to work with clients from from all over the globe. It's, uh, the world has become a very small place with the ability to work remotely. However, I must say that I do miss, you know, 2000, 2019 was a very stark, contrast to, to 2020 2019, i went to film uh, uh festivals and markets all over the world i went to berlin then i went to Cannes film festival then i went to santa monica to the american film market then i went to berlin again and it was all kind of very you know very social very meeting lots of people in various parts of the world i, I guess that 2020 has proven that it can be done remotely but uh yeah, i g got, I've gotta say that the the parties at the Cannes Film Festival are much more fun when you're there in person. Yeah, well
0: when they're not remote.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: How about um recording and, and writing remotely with a number of other people? I can't imagine what that's like to be honest with you.
1: Recording remotely, you know what, that's a really interesting question because the recording, especially recording voices, recording actors. Doing um, characters for movies, or recording singing, or recording solo instruments, it's even recording orchestras was something that, for that, you attended. You you usually it was nice to be in the same room. It was nice to you know. And again, that's something that COVID no, you can't be in the same room. Uh, it's either you do it remotely or you don't do it at all. And the industry has changed dramatically in, by the fact that every um, Every voice artist, every you know, voiceover artist or voice actor or uh, worth their salt, suddenly bought a preamp and bought a microphone and learned how to record themselves. Uh, it's a kind of Darwinistic period where either you evolve or you perish. And the guys that you work with, if you're looking for a voiceover artist today, it's like, well, he's good, but he doesn't have a microphone. He, you know, he. he he hasn't uh, hasn't sussed it hasn't made it work yet as a, a remote recording artist so I work with the other guy that has got it all sussed up and has found a quiet space in his you know in a cupboard or something uh, or and and bought a decent microphone and it's amazing how much that has happened it's uh, I think it's the whole side of the industry where People used to go to a voice recording, and and that would be something that was both talent attended and client attended. Where the clients, you know, if you look at like how how commercials used to be mixed, TV commercials, for instance, it was used to be uh, an a, an event where the the you know the the creative department attended, and the, the the from the ad agency and the client attended, and the director attended, and and uh, uh, everyone was, kept a
0: watchful eye over everything everyone kept a
1: watchful eye over everything and everyone sat on the big leather sofa in the back and runners brought in skinny lattes and then later on in the day the runners brought in sushi and you know and, and it was like a a thing it was a day out you could see for instance if you looked at the ad agency that they were enjoying it, it was a day out at the office for them it was you know a chance to kind of uh, there was a lot of a lot of socializing going on as well so it was it was like a, a, a like a fun thing like a, a, a happening in its own and and you know today they they don't want that they don't want to come to the studio they don't want to that, that's changed forever and uh, they've realized that they can pay a lot less get it done remotely get it done faster um not pay for the sushi not pay for the uh, then suddenly it doesn't matter if your studios yeah. in soho or not it can be anywhere you know um so i think that the industry has really really changed as a result of uh covid and i think in a way that that is uh maybe has some positive sides to it as well you know
0: do you think it'll ever slide back to where it was no
1: i think it will i think that, that there are areas where it will but i think that the default i think that a lot of the industry that people will say well hang on I, I don't have to travel to work two hours every day i can you know work from home by the same token i think a lot of people in this industry prefer working from home prefer not uh commuting prefer not uh going into town and um Because one thing that we've had this year is there is much more content being consumed. So therefore, because the budgets to create the content are not infinite, so budgets are shrinking. You have more content, but smaller budgets per unit of content uh, and more channels where stuff is out there. So more more of everything, but everything Mm. is made cheaper.
0: Do you think that's going to have a negative effect? Let me just qualify that if I think of the original Blade Runner, I can only mm-hmm. imagine that costs an absolute mint to film yes. and to score and to mix and to release and to publicize. Does that happen in 2021? Yeah. Making a movie
1: is still a very expensive ensemble piece of art, but, uh, but there, there are things, you know, if you, if you look at recording a song, for instance, yeah. in uh, 1982 versus today, you know, to record a song, you had the musicians playing it. So you had a band, you know, of people, four, five, whatever, how many. Uh, then you had to record that song. You had a producer, that he was the guy that knew how it should sound. You had a, uh, an engineer that he was operating the kit. You had a tape op that was, uh, or, or an assistant, you know, that was doing the patching and, and, and you know, physically operating the tape. And you had uh, a T boy, and you had then you had a mastering engineer, uh, and uh, and maybe before the the song was committed to tape, obviously you had a songwriter, but maybe you had an, an arranger that sat down with with pen with paper and pencil, and you know wrote down arrangements, and all of that's been in some cases condensed into one guy, you know that does that the work yeah. of those ten people.
0: It has democratized music. I have, I mean, I've noticed that. So a bit of history on on me, Seth. is I I did a sound engineering course. Oh God, two thousand and something. SA? I'm going to say twelve, maybe two thousand and twelve.
1: Uh, where, where did you Where did you study?
0: God, this is like not me trying to give credentials because I've got <laughs> I've got none. It was a Mid Kent College. Um, it was a city and guilds in sound engineering. It taught me the basics, right. And I was convinced for a little while that I was going to go and record bands and that was going to be my lot for a number of reasons. You know, I didn't I didn't end up doing that. I didn't sort of set up my studio and stuff. But at that point, I think it was shortly after that, that stuff just became so prevalent, so cheap and so good that actually, you know, what I'm doing right now is I'm sat using... The same model of microphone that Michael Jackson recorded Billie Jean on Mm -hmm. into a little Focusrite preamp, which would have been well out of my price range in the very, very early 2000s, into a computer that's probably, you know, God, if you go back to the 80s, this computer would have been the size of a room, right? To make it this powerful. And you could
1: could land a spaceship on Mars with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think there's more computing power in like a casio watch isn't there like those calculator watches than there was in the entire (laughs) the moonshell part of me thinks that the democratization of music that way has been a huge huge benefit and has probably really pushed up because there's lots of people that maybe wouldn't have had a voice before that can now get it heard but there's another part of me that thinks by lowering the barrier so far you also like you get a lot more background noise right not like literal background noise in your recording, but you just like wash out the industry with suddenly every idiot that can afford a microphone suddenly thinks he's worthy of having his voice heard on a podcast, <laughs> like, you know? And, yeah. I, and, and I, oh, I wonder no, I, where... I hear
1: what you're saying,
0: to which I have a very simple
1: response. I think that when it's good, it's good. The cream floats to the top. It, it, I think that, you know, yes, there is there is a lot of crap out there now, um and you know doors are very very tolerant um very tolerant beings you can throw anything at them and right right record you know uh, they they don't talk back at you they don't say what are you doing this is shit you know or why (laughs) uh you can you know you can record stuff and but and, and 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 you can you can also tune stuff and quantize stuff and and uh uh so it can yeah, it's it's a very thin line, isn't it? Where where somebody that, that has an idea but uh, doesn't have the 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 the, the chops to, to play it and express that idea can use technology to to um, express themselves. I mean, this, I'm,
0: I, I mean, I'm a fan of that personally. You know, because a good idea the, is a that, good idea, right? That, that's me. I'm
1: I'm the guy that that would not. I, I would be a, a great music. Fan uh, and and I'm you know I may might, might still be a recording engineer if I was living in the 70s, but I wouldn't be without technology. I don't think that I would be releasing music that I wrote. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I would, but but uh, but I, I I've certainly made technology my friend and my uh, so 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 you know far be it for me to say now technology is rubbish because all these talentless people can now make music. Uh, but, but I think that it, that it is, there is a certain, you know, um, technology has gone so far that uh, a lot of stuff that was required, a lot of skill, like getting, a, like, for instance, sampling a, a, a bar of music and getting that to loop perfectly without hearing the click, you know, and to be in time and on the grid and to be exactly one bar long in the tempo of the song that you want. That's something that, you know, when you're working on, a, on, a, on an Akai S1000 back in the day to get it, you know, two samples later, one, yes, no, it was, well, a lot of skill. A lot of that stuff just happens automatically. Like you take a, you throw it, bosh, it calculates the tempo for you. And, you know,
0: but yeah, great. You know, that doesn't, that's not, not a bad thing. I think the lowering of the bar to take away the technical aspects, I think that's been really good. I think the thing that's been less good, and this is kind of where I hear myself talking out of both sides of my mouth, the ease of spreading bad ideas. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of stuff that I hear where I just think like, what is this? Like you just, it's, it's not interesting. A, A good idea. It doesn't matter whether it's somebody that's less technically capable like myself or I feel like a good idea from from you, Sefi, is still gonna sound infinitely more interesting than than a good idea from somebody that maybe does know exactly what they're doing. The thing that worries me is is the people that don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Do You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you mean, but I think that uh
1: that You know, like like I said, when if it's good, it's good. I think that you know that there's plenty of bad creation out there that is enabled by technology. But then you don't have to consume it. You know, you don't you can you can pick it up and you can say, not for me, not my bag. You know, you can put it down and uh, it's okay. I mean, the 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 it does muddle up the scene and it does create a lot of noise, as you called it, and and it has some negative, real negative uh, effects on the industry. For instance. I I feel that that devalues music, you know, if you look at, at, um, for instance, there are are, uh, music services out there today, like royalty-free music libraries, where bedroom producers sit and create stuff that you can then buy to use on your YouTube channel for $20 a month, all you can eat, you know, that devalues music, because then... A piece of music that would have been worth a few thousand pounds 20 years ago suddenly is worth nothing or is worth, you know, a part of that monthly subscription that you can buy for 20 pounds. So licensing that piece of music is there is there is a lot more very, very, very cheap music that you can license. There is. There Most is. of it is terrible, but it brings the kind of you know, if you're um there there are clients that say I've had a client on a feature film say to me once, a director on a feature film say to me once, oh, you want you want how much? What well, why I can go on audio jungle and, and, and get this piece of music for you know, license it for my feature film for a hundred dollars. I said, Well, you know, you do that, mate.
0: You get what you pay for.
1: Yes. <laughs> exactly. So Yes, I think it it's creating a lot of noise and it's it's clouding the market and it's that aspect of it is not necessarily good. But the democratization and the fact that a really talented kid can sit with his iPad and make a really cool tune, um, is something that, that that's you know, that's that's priceless and that's almost worth having all the noise.
0: Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. You've just articulated exactly what I was thinking in a Way more concise way, so thank you thank you very much for doing that. I think that 's a really beautiful place to stop it 's about this time every week that we quite like to do some shout outs, so this is like a piece of art or an artist that you 've been enjoying a lot recently
1: I, I was just thinking about Ludwig goransson this week he 's he's a, he's a musician, so his star has risen very much in the last few years but I, I was listening to his he wrote he wrote the music for for Tenet he wrote the music for Mandalorian uh he's kind of you know flavor of the month in hollywood uh but he's he's done some really really uh inspiring stuff i was listening to the music for the mandalorian and really enjoying that kind of it's a bit of a western and it's a bit of you know has a bit of that ennio morricone vibe to it uh also has a bit of uh john williams in it and also has a little bit of uh kind of genre bending quality of synths together with the recorder at the beginning together with big strings and brass. So kind of very postmodernistic mix of lots of stuff. It's quite a young guy as well. So yeah, well done. Ludwig Gorenson.
0: That is really cool. And I was actually I I recently watched The Mandalorian. I haven't really thought about it, but you're absolutely right. There is something really spaghetti western about that soundtrack yeah like even at the beginning and the kind of like you say the recordery noise yeah that's i have i don't know i don't know why i didn't put all that together before but you know it's kind of for the most part it's a guy walking through a desert <laughs> Like, yeah it is it is a western yeah
1: completely It's, a it's had this, like, massive
0: epiphany now yeah <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> i feel like i need to rewatch it with like the understanding now that it is definitely a western oh that's so cool Um, My shout out this week is a record, it's an older record, it's not even the most recent one, but um, Flying Lotus, the record You're Dead. I've just been listening to that a little bit recently, and I struggle to articulate exactly what it is that I like about this. From what I can work out, this is a, a bit grim, but I think it's like a concept album about dying. It's like a really beautiful record, and it's absolutely mad in parts, kind of weird modern jazz and then in other parts, it's kind of more soulful, and it's like it's it's like a journey. You were saying at the beginning about telling a story of sound. I feel like that record really does that. So yeah, definitely urge everyone to go and check out Flying Lotus. You're dead. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Steffi.
1: Pleasure. I enjoyed it immensely myself. So thank you.
0: Where's the best place to to find you to to see your work, or or maybe to keep up to date with with what you're up to or, or online?
1: Um the website
0: soundtrack-creation.com cool i'll uh, i'll put a link in the show notes to that as always i'll i'll try and link as much stuff as sefi's been talking about in in the show notes tune back in next friday um i don't know who we're talking to next friday actually i don't think we've got someone lined up yet so that'll be a nice surprise for both of us um, in the meantime, have a great weekend